Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. I am pleased to share with you uh, welcome to our uh, what has now become our second service as of today. And I'm uh, pleased to tell you that we had a wonderful first service, our first service here in this new format. Uh, according to uh, Jeffrey, our uh, head usher, we had 168 people present here this morning in that first service. And we are so thankful for that opportunity uh, to be available for our community. Amen. And uh, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. A couple of things real quickly. Uh, Friends Day is this evening at 5.30. If you're new to the campus here, our festivities will be off of the side of our Joy Junction building, which is this building next door, and along the side of it and around behind at our pavilion. And uh, there's still time to sign up, get here for that. If you have registered for that, if you'd stop by the information desk at the conclusion of the service, you can pick up your ticket for that. And uh, we'll be happy to see everyone this evening. A great opportunity to come out and share together with the body of Christ. Also, ladies. All right. If you haven't, time is drawing near to get signed up, get registered for the Gather Conference. It is going to be off the chain this year. Well, it was off the chain last year and the year before, but this year is even better. So uh, we want you to get your ticket, get registered, get here for the Ladies Gather Conference. You are not going to want to miss it. It's going to be an amazing time. So uh, jump on faith-assembly.org and um, go ahead and get that, get that rolling. Amen. Um, I want to make a point of clarification. I'm not sure it was said in the announcement video uh, by... Uh, by the coach, but he's actually going to be here, the keynote speaker for our men's stakeout. Uh, so that's a men's event that's going to be here September 24th. So again, jump on faith-assembly.org, uh, grab the events tab there, and that is the event you're looking for. And uh, for those of you that are new to Faith Assembly and you don't know what a men's stakeout is, it's actually a time that men's ministry provides you three things, a hot grill, um, a baked potato salad, the drinks, and you come and bring your own steak. And, you know, it's become kind of a bragging rights kind of thing. Who can do the best marinade? And, and it's a whole guy thing. But anyway, um, but uh, that's going to be a great time also. So be here for that. If you're ready to get in the Word this morning, would you grab your Bible, your device, however you access the Scriptures, and would you join me in Romans chapter 5, uh, Romans chapter 5, we're launching a brand new series of messages this morning entitled, Since You've Believed, and uh, for the next several weeks you're going to hear one word quite often, and that word is the simple word since, S-I-N-C-E. Since is defined by Webster as after or from the time that, in other words, from a time, a, a marked point, a turning point a pivotal point, whatever it is, since a certain time. Uh, you all know you've used this in, in, uh, in your everyday speak, so to say. Uh, you'll say, I have not done something since. You know, you haven't put your hand on a hot oven since the last time you burned yourself on a hot oven. Somebody say amen. So, 
It's a word, however, that marks a turning point. It's a word that denotes the ceasing of things that were, the implementation of new things, and an all-around transition in our life experiences or in our ways of doing things. And depending on the version of the Bible that you're reading, you could find as many as 283 instances where either the Hebrew or the Greek words are translated into our English word, since. And we're going to use that word to offer challenges from the Bible, or at least to give you a standard by which to measure your growth as a believer. Measure your participation in the body of Christ, and to see if you're taking full advantage of what is offered you through the finished work of Christ. So, the reason that we're going to take this time to share is because if you have committed your heart and life to Jesus Christ, there should be absolutely no bigger sense than that pivotal moment when you gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul emphasizes and says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have been made new. That's a powerful sense in the word there. That's a powerful transitional moment. The life that you and I live as believers is the new life, the scripture tells us. Paul said, as I said, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. So we're going to spend a total of eight weeks talking about things in our lives that should have changed since we've come to Christ. Uh, things that we should have set aside, maybe. Uh, new practices and disciplines that we should have adopted into our lives. New strides in our spiritual development. We're going to reacquaint ourselves with the fact that there are some things that have been made available to the believer once that were once out of our reach. How many of you know that victory was once out of our reach? But now it is. Amen. We can, we can now lay hold of that. There was healing that was once out of our reach. But now it's there. We can lay hold of that. There was a power as we sang about this morning. That was out of our reach once. But now through the Holy Spirit's impartation into our lives. Through the finished work of Calvary. We can reach that power. Amen. And have that source. So welcome to this series since you've believed. And today we're just going to camp for a minute on the thought that if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and you have received the free gift of the Father's grace through the finished work of Jesus on the cross and you've been raised to a newness of life through the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit, then you understand the wonder of salvation. Early, late service, I can see it makes no difference. You, you understand the wonder and the glory of what it means to be saved. Come on, somebody. How many of you, how many saved, blood-bought, born-again, redeemed children of the King do we have in the house this morning? There we go. There we go. That's a better response. So we're going to be talking about understanding the wonder of salvation. And to do that, I want, to turn, I want you to turn with me to a wonderful statement in the Word. And that is Romans 5. Hold your place there. But I want to tell you the psalmist says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Taste and see that the Lord is good. And anyone who has tasted the grace of God in their lives, who has known the relief of sins forgiven and felt the life-giving power of God in their hearts, knows that that statement is true. That is an absolutely true statement. In another place we read the psalmist, we see him crying out to God after an occasion when he had allowed sin into his life. He had fallen into adultery with Bathsheba. And How many of you know when you open your hearts to sin, you open your hearts to a lot of other things as well? You open your heart to shame, to guilt, to condemnation. And David had done this in his life. He had opened the doors wide for all of these things to come in and flood his life. But we find him in Isaiah, and, and we don't find him in Isaiah. We find him in Psalm 51, and he's crying out to God. And he said, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the, the wonder, the splendor, the, the, just the glory of knowing that I'm saved. And... So today, you may have taken for granted the wonder of knowing Jesus. How many of you know sometimes, the the old saying is, familiarity breeds contempt, right? And maybe we don't stand contemptible towards the grace of God. Maybe it's not that we despise it, but how many of you know that familiarity can oftentimes set us in a place where we're not as grateful for something maybe as we should be? And I believe sometimes the saving power of Jesus Christ is one of those things. That we just, we get saved. But sometimes we don't live saved. You know? I mean, we just, we lose touch with what it was like. When we came to an altar and we were laden with guilt and condemnation and our hearts were broken and our lives were a mess and we laid that on the altar before God and the Holy Spirit came on us and we felt the relief of that thing being rolled away in our hearts and lives. The old song used to say, I never shall forget the day when all the burdens of my heart were rolled away. It made me happy, glad, and free. Come on, how many of you are happy, glad, and free in the house of the Lord this morning? Because you know that you're saved. So today, if you're taking that for granted, uh, we, we want you to know that I'm here today to remind you of the wonder and the joy of knowing Jesus as your Savior. Now, if you're here today and, and you've never experienced that joy for yourself, then I pray that today for you is a day of discovery. This is the day that you find that joy in your life. So, I, I want to take you to one of the most wonderful statements, as I said, in all of the Bible. And if I were to ask you this morning to share with us your favorite Bible verse, how many of you have a favorite Bible verse? It's on your refrigerator, it's on your post-it notes, on your bathroom mirror. It's everywhere that you might see it frequently because you like to be reminded of it. Maybe it's your screensaver. Maybe it's on your little bracelet or whatever you wear. But I'm sure that if I were to ask for favorites this morning, the replies would be as varied as the persons and the experiences of life that are represented here in this room. Sometimes our favorite verse depends on what we're going through in a season of life, doesn't it? But there's one verse in particular that ought to just fill us with joy and fill us with wonder and amazement every time we read it regardless of the season of life we're in and that is Romans 5 verse 1 and it says this therefore since there's that word therefore since 
we've been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to take a moment here just to consider exactly what's being said in this verse. And it's my prayer today that as we do this, that you leave this place liberated. I pray that you are encouraged, but above all that, I pray that your faith is built, that you leave this place and you say, look, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is shifting sand. Amen? So, here we go. As we do this, as we look at this verse, uh, I simply want to dissect it by three key statements that are contained therein. And the first one is, Paul says, we are justified by faith. We are justified by faith. So, in this in this verse, Paul first states that we've been justified, and I want to stop particularly on that word because that's one of those kind of churchy, religious words sometimes that, you know, maybe is lost on us at first mention, uh, but I want to just draw attention to the power of what Paul's saying here because the whole of salvation, the whole idea of being saved rests on this one word, that we're justified, and here's why. The word justification in this context is a legal term. If you were reading through the book of Romans in the greater scheme of things, not just chapter 5 here, you would begin in Romans chapter 1 about verse 18. And in Romans chapter 1 about verse 18, Paul does the work of a prosecuting attorney. And he begins to build a case for all of mankind. And he's clear that it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile, if you're bond or free, if you are anything, male, female, it it makes no difference regardless of origin, race, sex, any of it, it doesn't matter. He finally comes to this conclusion at the end of it all. He lays blame on the whole of humanity. And then in Romans 3.23, he says this, For all have sinned. All have sinned. There's not one of us in this room today that hasn't sinned. There's not anybody out on that street today that hasn't sinned. All. That's a pretty inclusive word, isn't it? We like inclusivity in this generation. And there it is. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, later later in chapter 6, if we're reading through, we learn that the wages of that sin... The wages of that transgression, the wages that are ours from breaking that law is that we have been issued a death penalty. For the wages of sin, Paul says, are death. And you say, well, pastor, that's, you're just being Captain Obvious right now, you and Paul. You know, you call it the inspiration of the Spirit in his writing, but that's actually pretty obvious. We know, you know, you know statistics show that given enough time, 10 out of every 10 people die. Some of them will get that on the ride home, right? So I know that seems pretty obvious, and I wish today that I could tell you, hey, it's this simple, that saved people go to heaven when they die, and unsaved people just die. But what Paul is actually addressing here is not the physical death, but it's a spiritual death. It's not just the saints. Sometimes we focus a lot on this. It's not just the sainted dead that are going to be resurrected, those who are in Christ Jesus. Although Paul tells us in Thessalonians and in 1 Corinthians 15 that, you know, the Lord's going to descend from heaven and the church of Jesus Christ is going to be raptured and the dead are going to be raised, resurrected to a new glorified body. 
But if you keep on reading in the book and you read all the way through the book of Revelation, you find there actually comes a point when those who are dead in their trespasses and sins are actually resurrected to stand before the great white throne judgment of God. It says, And the sea gave up the dead that were in them. You've heard that verse before, I'm sure. And it continues on from there to talk about how God calls up the, the bodies and the spirits of, the, of those who are dead apart from Christ. And there they face their judgment. So you understand with me that when Paul says the wages of sin is death, he's not talking about the physical death of this body, but he's talking about an eternal separation never available to them again to enter into the glory and the splendor of heaven, but rather to spend an eternity apart from God, separated from Him in a place of torment that He prepared for the devil and His angels. Now, it's not, as simply, it's not as simple that, as that sinners just die and cease to be while the redeemed live on in heaven. We could only hope for that kind of relief outside of a life in Christ. But the death of which Paul speaks in chapter 6 is the aforementioned spiritual death, which is separation from God for eternity. But I want to share with you this definition of justification as written by a man by the name of Stanley Horton who happens to be one of my greatest and favorite study resources and he says this justification is God's act of declaring and accepting a person as righteous in his sight God pardons sinners who accept Christ and treat them as not guilty oh come on church he treats them as not, he doesn't say they weren't, he just says he treats them as not guilty and is as if they had never sinned. So with such a weight, a sentence weighing on us, the importance of being justified is made evident in our lives. So what a precious thing to be declared guiltless before a holy God. We had broken the law. We had transgressed. But through the blood of Jesus now, God looks at us and says, not guilty, not guilty, justified, not guilty. Paul describes what Jesus did for you and I this way. And he, con and he conveys this in legal terms as well. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, he says this, When you were dead in your trespasses and in this uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. In Romans 8, Paul says this. Are you ready? Oh, get ready. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. Come on. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
And I want to take just a minute here to clarify, and I really broke this statement down in two parts, that we have been justified, but that justification has come to us through faith. Sometimes in the church, you know, I believe almost sometimes that two of the most feared, well, most relished and most feared words in all of Christendom are grace and faith. Grace and faith. Because we like to tell people that they are saved by grace through faith. But then we also like to tell people that if they want to stay saved, they've got to keep up the works. That somehow or another, we, we become Galatian real quick. And Paul wrote to the Galatian church and they were having a problem because they thought that what God began in the spirit, somehow or another, they were going to perfect in the flesh. But Paul specifies here that this justification we receive comes by faith. What does that mean? What does that mean exactly? Simply put, it means that I didn't do anything of my own merit to receive the goodness of God into my life. I, I didn't clean myself up enough. I didn't get myself straight enough. I didn't get myself dry enough. I didn't get myself loosed enough of the habits and the vices that were in my life. I didn't escape my addictions. I didn't memorize enough scripture. I didn't pray often enough. I didn't go to church enough. I didn't do enough good deeds. But what it does mean is this. I simply trusted God to be who He says He is. And I trusted that Jesus had done what the Scripture has revealed to me that He's done. And what the Holy Spirit testifies to me that He's done. And furthermore, I have received for myself the finished work of Calvary into my life. And now I am justified and I stand righteous before God. Now... As a consequence of this justification, Paul says that we have peace with God. Mm. What an elusive thing in this world that you and I live in. Peace. Peace. I told this story in the first service. I heard a story this weekend of a young lady who worked with a news organization and she was sent out in the Houston area to find some people who were dismayed and distraught from one of the major storms that had passed through that way. And she kept going through all of the lines at the, at the, at the uh, food outlets and different things where people were gathered to receive the, the aid that was coming in. And she kept going from person to person and trying to find somebody that was really just tore up. And, and you know, everybody to the person just kept saying, you know what? We've lost everything, but it's okay. We can rebuild. We know that God's with us. We know that he's going to meet the needs. She went back to the news organization with that story. They aired it, and consequently, shortly thereafter, she was dismissed because she couldn't find anybody who was depressed or despondent or, or, or rung up over their situation, but they all expressed faith in God. And I'm telling you, this world is full of, of ploys and plots of the adversary to rob your peace and to take that away from you and to cause you anxiety and to cause you fear. But Paul says we have been justified by faith and now we have peace with God. Do you understand? That, that's not just peace in a generic sense. 
Because Jesus said, peace I leave with you. Peace I give you, not as the world's peace, but my peace. What's his peace? His peace is a peace that passes all understanding. His peace is a peace that I can look at situations in my life that aren't favorable, that aren't going the way I'd like for them to go, and I can look at those things and say, it's all right because I know that God's in control. I know that God's got this whole world in the palm of his hands. I know that it doesn't matter what comes my way. There's nothing that's going to separate me from the love of God. And you may be here today and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know that it's really significant for my life because I can't say that I've ever really been at odds with God. I I love God, but I'm just not a very religious person. Or maybe you might say, I don't have any problem with the church and I believe in God and I don't see any need for confessing my sins or for asking for forgiveness. I know that God loves me and that's enough. Well, God does love you. But that's not enough to make things right between you and him. That's not enough to make things right between you and him. As a matter of fact, God loved the world or the people of the world so much that he sent his son to die for the world so that sin's separation between the hearts of man and a holy God could be rectified. John's gospel makes that very clear to us. But Paul also puts that in a grander context in Romans 5.8 and says this, but while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. You see, God loved us, but that wasn't enough. There was something in our lives that needed to be rectified. Paul underscores that situation there by saying, while we were yet sinners. Now this is a statement that I often make, and it's a statement that I have to be careful to clarify. And that's this. We treasure the pardon of sins so that we then hopefully gain entry to heaven. But can I tell you that the pardon of your sins for entry into heaven was not God's chief reason for sending his son to die for you. Somebody's looking at the neighbor saying, I don't, he's, this is second service, I'm not sure he's still in the word. No, 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 no. That was not the primary reason. Yes, yes, God sent his son to die for your sins, to pay the penalty for your sins, because sin was the cause. But separation was the purpose. The reason that Christ died for you to forgive your sins is so that you could be restored into right relationship with God the Father. It was reconciliation. That's why Jesus died. To reconcile because God through Christ Jesus was reconciling us to himself. We were at fault. We were in the wrong But God took the stride to reconcile us to himself. Now, Paul states this in Romans 8. He says that the sinful nature is always hostile to God. Romans 8, 7, the sinful nature sets us at enmity with God. But the good news for you and I today, church, is that that sinful nature was dealt with on the cross. And now, through the finished work of the cross, we can have peace. Now, you might be pleased today to, that, that 
with what you've been. You may be happy living for yourself, satisfying the lusts of the flesh. You may be happy just adding a little God to your vocabulary. But God's not cool with it. And that's not true peace. We can only know peace having been reconciled to God through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, being justified by faith and made right in the sight of God. And I don't have time this morning to consider all the things that we read of the end times when the judgment of God is being poured out on sin and poured out on this earth. But I'm telling you that when that season of time comes, it's going to be a precious thing to be at peace with God. It's a precious thing to walk through this life at peace with God. And Paul says this in Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Church, I don't have to be anxious today. I don't have to live tore up. Because my faith today rests securely in Jesus Christ, the finished work of Calvary, and the peace of God that passes all understanding that's been ushered into my life. Are you today rejoicing in knowing that you are His and He is yours? You know, sometimes we would get, I mean, we would get fired up if somebody was to come in here who'd been lame for many years, deaf, blind, whatever it is, and we prayed for them, they received their sight, they received their hearing, they stood up and walked for the first time in years. But there is no greater miracle than a sinner bowing their heart before a blameless and holy God and receiving the free gift of His grace and being justified. No greater miracle in the world than that. You say, well, Pastor, how do, we, how do we get there? And I'm glad you asked. Paul specifies that this all comes to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's not the most popular time in history to claim the exclusivity of the gospel. In today's world of tolerance and Inclusiveness, it's recommended in fairness that we hold all religions as equal. People want to say that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something and that all roads lead to heaven. And there are people that sincerely believe that. And maybe you're here today and say, well, Pastor, I believe sincerity is the key. And I want to share with you all through the book of Acts when we see Saul of Tarsus persecuting the church trying to eradicate the gospel and killing believers he was sincere but all it took was a meeting with the resurrected savior on the road to Damascus for him to understand that he was also sincerely wrong see it doesn't matter what's popular what matters is what's truthful and Jesus says in John's gospel I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one can come to the Father except through me. In the book of Acts, we read the apostles saying this, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And they, saved. And they said that speaking of Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, Peter, moved by the Spirit of the Lord, stood up and began to preach. And he shared the gospel with them, those, all of those thousands of people who were there in his hearing that day. And the word says this, and when the people heard this, they were cut to their hearts and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That regenerative work that brings new life to us. Peter said, you repent, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, get your act together. <laughs> Come on, somebody. He, he didn't say, learn enough memory verses, although Bible study is important. He didn't say, keep enough rules, jump through enough hoops. He simply said, repent and be baptized and you'll receive the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. Church, I'm so thankful today for the gospel. I, I echo the sentiment of Paul in Romans 1 verse 16 when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation. Jew first and then to the Greek I believe today that 2,000 years ago my Savior hung on a cross and he bled and he died to pay a debt of sin that I owed but I couldn't pay and now because of his act not anything I've done not anything of my own merit but just because of what he's done I am forgiven. I am freed. I am justified. And now I stand before a holy God just as if I had never sinned. Paul said we were at enmity with God. But now he calls us friend. Come on, somebody. It's a wonderful thing to be saved. It's a wonderful thing to know the power of forgiveness and the, and the scope of God's grace. I want to invite you to stand with me all across this sanctuary this morning. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.